And now kids, grades five and under, you are invited to continue worshiping with Miss Vicki in the back. She'll meet you right back there. Thank you, Char. Thanks, gang. Uh, you know, there's, well, I mentioned this in the first service, there is an X factor to being a part of a local church. It's very simple. It's hard to quantify. I don't even know how you put a value on it. But uh, I grew up in a local church. And as I moved through that, that space, and as I encountered people in the life of the church, uh, I got to know people uh, who were six years old who knew my name, people who were 18 years old who knew my name, people who were 80 years old who knew my name. And it's, there's something very powerful about uh, young people growing up in a community of people, of people that have grace and love for them. And so uh, let us uh, simply ponder the great magnitude of what we just participated in because it looks like the church and it looks like the kingdom of God. My name's Brad. Uh, we are going to head into our teaching today. Um, we do not have Q&A like we sometimes often do uh, here at Faith, but here's what I need you to do. This is very important, very, very important. I need you, as I move through this message, to text me any questions you have. You can text the questions to that number, or you can write a question down on the Ask Pastor Brad card, because next week, my message is going to be born out of the questions I received this week, okay? So please uh, help me out. If, if you don't send me any questions, then I'm just going to read all of Leviticus for an hour. Uh, <laughs> and if you don't know what Leviticus is, it's a very complicated book of the Bible. <laughs> um, all right, let's pray before we go any further, shall we? Holy God, we are grateful that you've called us together. We're grateful for those kids, Lord. We're grateful that uh, they have done a wonderful job of just being themselves, being beloved by you, and actually demonstrating what it looks like uh, to be followers of you, uh, to come before you and to, to lay it all out and to, to rest in your arms and to trust you are good. Lord, you are good. Uh, we want to even know how good you are are even more <laughs> this morning. We want to know how much you love us even more. And we want to know, Lord, uh, we invite you to tell us what you want us to hear. We pray you'd give us the ears to, to hear what you want us to hear. And we pray you'd empower us to do what you want us to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry... I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair <laughs> and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them both really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves. No step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, <laughs> yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever go back. 
I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, in a wood, and I, I chose the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. We are in a series called Decisions. Why? Because deciding which road to take makes all the difference. Decisions have consequences. Now, here at Faith Covenant Church, if you're new to us, we have made a decision. Uh, the main decision we've made is we believe God has called us to be a family of grace who make disciples of Jesus from generation to generation. We are disciple makers. What's a disciple? Well, a disciple, this morning I would say it this way, a disciple is someone who has made a decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And what we've done over uh, the past many weeks is I've actually been working to create a foundation by which to get where we're going to go the rest of the weeks. And part of that foundation, part of the way I think we need to understand our decision-making is uh, followers of Jesus make decisions by devoting themselves to God's Word. Read this with me, if you would. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yeah, a disciple is someone who has decided to follow God's word. And one of the things we do in, in the church is we create pathways so you might grow in your understanding of God's word. And if you're looking for a quick, easy way to step in and begin to grow that way, I'd invite you Wednesday night to Discovery Bible Experience at 6.30. It'll be a great step to helping you grow in God's word. But how do we, followers, apprentices of Jesus, how do we interpret this word? Well, we've said over the past many weeks that disciples of Jesus uh, have decided to interpret God's written word through Jesus, who is the word made flesh. Jesus is the word uh, with skin on. Jesus is, was, and will be God's definitive word, we've said. And where do we get this? We get it from God's word. Read this with me. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Yeah, disciples of Jesus have decided to listen to Jesus. Thus, we are a people of the Word. We are um, a people of the written Word and a people of the incarnate Word, this Word with flesh on Jesus. And last time I spoke, we talked about how we are a, a company of players gathered together to devote ourselves to God's words and to stage scenes from the kingdom of Jesus for a watching world. We talked about how we are a theater of the gospel, 
how we take God's word and we, we stand it up on its feet and we put flesh on it, on it uh, through the spirit of the living Christ, the Holy Spirit. Thus, we are a people of the word. And we talked about how uh, we are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works God had planned for us long ago. And in so doing, we said we are, we are not called to effectiveness according to the way the world uh, deems things that are effective, but rather we are called to faithfulness to the Word. Disciples of Jesus have decided we are not called to be effective according to the world's standards. We are called to be faithful to God's Word. And today we're going to go even deeper. Uh, two roads diverge in a wood. Two roads diverge in a broken world. One road we're going to call exclusion. One road we're going to call embrace. How do we decide which to choose, exclusion or embrace? Which is the way of Christ? Which is the road less traveled? Now, two texts are going to be helpful for us. If you would, grab your worship folder. The first text is at the top in the back of your worship folder. I'm going to ask you to take that, stand up. We're going to read it. Uh, actually, I'll read it if you, you would listen, please. This is the first of the two main texts and we're going to be talking uh, through. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You may be seated. I'm going to read that again because I know there's a lot there. So listen, if you would. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we say, when we plead, come back to God. One more time. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Hmm. So who are we? Well, the text tells us we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. That reconciliation appeal, it is coming through us. We speak for Christ when we say come back to God. So which road do disciples of Jesus take? Do we take exclusion or we take embrace? Well, what does exclusion look like? Now, just so you know, most of the thinking here comes from a theologian named Miroslav Volf who wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. We know exclusion, it looks like to prevent or restrict the entrance of. That's not brain surgery, you all probably could have come up up with that all by yourself. Exclusion is a tactic the church has used throughout the centuries 
We don't have to think too hard uh, to know why. God is good, and people are evil. The Bible says God hates sin. We are the body of Christ, therefore we should be against sin. Therefore we should exclude, right? And of course, there are a number of ways to exclude. Let's unpack them. And please hold the tension within this because it might get a little tense. We can't exclude by elimination, right? Absolutely. This was done with great efficiency in the Rwandan genocide. The Hutus sought to eliminate the Tutsis. Why? They were evil. Now, of course, this was done by people outside the church, but it was also done within the church. Pastors in Rwanda reported that it was some of their most faithful churchgoers who were first to pick up the machete. Hmm. We know in, uh, in Germany, it was good German churchgoers who quickly turned a blind eye to Nazi death camps. So we can't exclude by eliminating the sinful other. We can exclude by assimilation, right? This is a subtle form of exclusion, and again, it seems to make sense. The other is bad, we are good, but if you assimilate, if you become like us, the good guys, you can survive even thrive among us. You are bad. We are good. Become like us. You won't be so bad anymore, and we won't have to exclude you. We can exclude by abandonment. We are good. The other is bad. We therefore abandon abandon the other to the logical consequences of their behavior, forever shutting the door to the possibility of embrace. Why? Someone has to stand up for what is right. If we don't make an example of them by turning our backs on them, we will be soft on sin. So we can exclude by abandonment. And exclusion, of course, can be backed up by Scripture, right? John 3.17, God did not send His Son into the world to save the world, but to condemn it. Is that the way that goes? I don't think so. Uh, God did not send His Son into the world to save the world, but to condemn. No, I I think it's John 3.17. I think it's God did not send His Son into the world uh, to condemn it, but to save it. And the verse right before that says the reason God did that is God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Hmm. God loves those we often desire to exclude. Now, I know what we're all thinking, but can't we exclude a little bit? <laughs> I mean, after all, uh, people do evil things. Aren't there innocents and aren't there guilty? Aren't there victims and aren't there violators? Absolutely. Just so you know, we're all both. <laughs> the Scriptures are very clear. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. The ground is absolutely level at the foot of the cross. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Pastor Shar Rotvold, Pastor Brad Kendall, all of Faith Covenant Church, we all stand condemned in our sin. Yet, instead of Jesus excluding us, He chose to embrace us. Colossians 1, 22, our second text for the day. You were his enemies, 
separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions now, yet now he has brought you back as what? His friends. What a powerful word. Friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. Two roads diverged in a broken world. Exclusion or embrace. And the word made flesh chose embrace. What does it mean to embrace? Hmm. Again, not brain surgery. It's a verb. It means to clasp in the arms. Hmm. What does this look like? One of the most beautiful uh, parables in the Gospels, one of the most great, popular, wonderful stories uh, is a story called The Prodigal Son. This boy he, uh, before his dad died, he asked for his inheritance, and then he left. And then he squandered that inheritance off in a far-off country. But then when things were getting really bad, he decided, boy, you know, my, the slaves and the servants at my, at my dad's place live, live better than I'm living, so I'm heading home. And so he headed home. Luke 15, 20 says, And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. What are the fundamentals of God's embrace? Two words, love and forgiveness. Because God is love, God forgives. Miroslav Volf writes, forgiveness is a passage leading to embrace. The arms of the crucified are open, a sign of a space in God's self and an invitation for the enemy to come in. While the rest of the world seeks to exclude the body of Christ, always seeks embrace. What are the fundamentals of embrace? Well, we embrace, of course, by opening the arms. That's easy. <laughs> Open arms are an invitation. They say, I've, I've created space right now for you in my life. Open, dar- open arms are kind of a, a door left open at your house so the neighbors know it's okay to come on in. Open the fridge. Now, if you hear, uh, if you're here and you're, you have some concerns, you're thinking, "Oh, if I open my arms, aren't I going to leave myself vulnerable?" Absolutely. It is God's goodwill that you would open yourself up and be vulnerable, just like Jesus on the cross. He left himself vulnerable. It cost him his life. This is the way of Christ. And who are we? We are the apprentices of this guy. That's the way we roll. Must we not open our arms in the manner of the king? Another concern I know is if I open my arms, that means I am excusing their sin. And I can see how you can get there. I've been there. But if we look at the cross, is that really what happens? Did God, did Jesus say on the cross as he's dying, did he say, Father, I want you to excuse their sin because they don't know what they're doing. No, he said, Father, I want you to forgive their sins. They don't know what they're doing. 
if you wrong me or I wrong you and you forgive me, you're forgiving me because I did something that broke the relationship. Forgiveness is not excusing the sin. Jesus' cross, Jesus cross tells us God excludes sin. The scriptures say God condemned sin in the flesh, the flesh of Christ. But the cross tells us God embraces sinners. Wolf writes, at the core of the Christian faith lies the persuasion that the others need not be perceived as innocent in order to be loved, but ought to be embraced even when they are perceived as wrongdoers. So once our arms are open, what do we do? We embrace by waiting. <laughs> two, uh, two images come to my mind. It's not on my notes, but I'm going to share them with you. Uh, one is when uh, I first uh, met Jill, one of the first things she did was do this. <laughs> what did that say? I'm waiting. It's okay. We can embrace. Uh, traumatic experience in my life that I don't have the time to tell you. Horrible, horrible Sunday morning. Really bad, 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 horrible stuff. I'll never forget. His name was Chris. I walked out into the lobby, not at this church, another church, and as I, I walked out into the lobby, there was one person in the lobby whose arms were like this, saying, I'm here for you. You may enter in and receive comfort. Waiting is so important in embracing. If, we, if the father of the prodigal son had pursued the son and dragged him back, that would be coercion. That wouldn't be embrace. That wouldn't be loving. No, he had to wait. And that's one of the hardest parts sometimes of the embrace. We have to wait. You know someone in pain, someone whose life might be spiraling out of control, crying out, God, where are you? Guess what? We cannot force them into an embrace, but we can approach them, open our arms, and wait, giving the signal I'm open. I'm here for you. This is what God has done for us. God did not force himself on any of us. He patiently waits for the groaning world to embrace his open arms. And you think about it. God has strategically placed you in the lives of people who do not desire the love of God. Your job is not, of course, please hear this, your job is not to fix them. Your job is to open your arms and wait, letting them know you've created space for them. And then, of course, we embrace by closing the arms. Uh, all of our most intimate relationships demonstrate their intimacy by the wrapping of the arms around the other. And hear this, the embrace does not require I understand the other. The embrace does not require that I feel loving toward the other. Now, this is a physical action that you can do even though you might not feel warm inside. When we seek to embrace a violent world, we do so in the name of Christ who embraced us despite our sin. Anne Lamott, 
in her book, Traveling Mercies, recounts a, a beautiful Christ-like closing of the arms on, in a church service. I'm going to let Tone come forward and share that with us. One of our newer members, a man named Ken Nelson, is dying of AIDS, disintegrating before our very eyes. He came in a year ago with a Jewish woman who comes every week to be with us, although she does not believe in Jesus. Shortly after the man with AIDS started coming, his partner died of the disease. A few weeks later, Ken told us that right after Brandon died, Jesus had slid into the hole in his heart that Brandon's loss left and had been there ever since. Ken has a totally lopsided face, ravaged and emaciated, but when he smiles, it is radiant. He looks like God's crazy nephew, Phil. He says that he would gladly pay any price for what he has now, which is Jesus and us. There's a woman in the choir named Renola who is large and beautiful and jovial and black and as devout as can be who has been a little standoffish toward Ken. She has always looked at him with confusion when she looks at him at all. Or she looks at him sideways as if she wouldn't have to quite see him if she didn't look at him head on. She was raised in the South by Baptists who taught her that his way of life, that he, was an abomination. It is hard for her to break through this. I think she and a few of the other women at the church are on the most visceral level a little afraid of catching the disease. But Kenny has come to church almost every week for the last year and won almost everyone over. He finally missed a couple of Sundays when he got too weak, and then a month ago he was back weighing almost no pounds, his face even more lopsided as if he'd had a stroke. Still, during the prayers of the people, he talked joyously of his life and his decline, of grace and redemption, of how safe and happy he feels these days. So on this one particular Sunday for the first hymn, the so-called morning hymn, we sang Jacob's Ladder, which goes... Every rung goes higher, higher, while ironically Kenny couldn't even stand up, but he sang away, sitting down with the hymnal in his lap. And then when it came time for the second hymn, the fellowship hymn, we were to sing His Eye is on the Sparrow. The pianist was playing and the whole congregation had risen, only Kenny remained seated, holding the hymnal in his lap. And we began to sing, why should I feel discouraged? Why do the shadows fall? And Renola watched Ken rather skeptically for a moment. And then her face began to melt and contort like his. And she went to his side and bent down to lift him up, lifted up this white rag doll, this scarecrow. She held him next to her, draped over and against her like a child while they sang. And it pierced me. Is there anything more beautiful than the body of Christ wrapping its arms around a broken world? I don't think so. But then, of course, our arms cannot remain closed forever. For there comes a time when we embrace by actually opening the arms again. The arms must be opened so the potential for further embrace might actually continue. Arms forever closed around the other stifle 
and they trap. Wolf writes, the opening of the arms issues an invitation for the other to return again. The end of an embrace is, in a sense, already the beginning of the possibility of a new embrace. Do the people in your life know your arms are open, signaling the potential for a future embrace? Two roads diverged in a broken world, one called exclusion and one called embrace. How will we know, how will we decide which road to choose? Well, what does the Word say about who we are? We are Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation. God is in the body of Christ, the church, no longer counting people's sins against them. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ. Come back to God. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Let's pray. What I'd like to do as we head into prayer is uh, two things. One, uh, if you're here today and maybe you've not yet known that God's arms are open to you, that He desires you that He's waiting for you to come in and receive His embrace. Maybe for the first time you want to just reach out to God and give your life over to Him in the eternal embrace that does not end. Uh, I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer to begin that relationship with God. You could simply pray to God silently. Just pray after me. Holy God, I admit I am a sinner, and I need your embrace. I believe you lived, died, rose again so that I might live in the eternal loving embrace of you, with you forever. I invite you to empower me with your love so that I might walk hand in hand, embracing your hand into eternity, now and forevermore. And for the rest of us, God, it's easy for us to forget the call to embrace. And yet, God, in this broken world, it gets very complicated, and so we pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill our church and that we would reside on the faith that you have given us and be led then by your Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, so that we know how to embrace like Jesus. Lord, nothing is more important we know, than being conformed to Christ. In your name we pray, amen.